Folks, I want to welcome you all to On the Edge with K.A. Owens. I'm K.A. Owens, and we're broadcasting from the top of the Habern Building in Louisville, Kentucky. This is Forward Radio, WFNP-LP Louisville. It's 106.5 FM on your radio dial. You can also find out a little bit more about our station if you go to forwardradio.org, click on a button, and uh, we're live streaming now. And also you can find the older shows through uh, the podcast and archive button. So, uh, folks, we've got here today, we've got Michael T. here with us today on On the Edge with K.A. Owens. Uh, I'm K.A. Owens. And we've got Michael T. is a playwright, author, scholar, uh, activist, uh, member of the original Black Panthers, uh, a very well-traveled uh, American who's lived in other cities besides his home city of Philadelphia. And so uh, uh, he's, he brings all of that knowledge and experience to his writing. Uh, and so, uh, Michael, why don't you tell us about some of your latest uh, theatrical, artistic work? Well, right now um, we're about uh, less than a month away from premiering my latest play entitled Let It Resound Loud as the Rolling Sea, Ida B. Wells in Louisville. And uh, it's a play I began during the uprising, uh, the Brown and Taylor uprising uh, a few years ago. I started researching it. And uh, we're doing this play, I, I want to say right up front, and we can repeat this later. Uh, we're doing four shows. Uh, three of them will be at the Unitarian Universalist Church, uh, also known as the UU Church on 4th and York Streets, where I've done some previous plays. I want to give a shout out to them. Um, and um, we're doing the play uh, three times there on April the 7th at 8 p.m., and the following day, uh, April the 8th, that's a Friday and a Saturday, at 8 p.m., again on uh, 4th and York Streets, the UU Church. Uh, we uh, are also performing uh, this play at the Southwick Community Center. Uh, many of your um, listeners uh, probably know where that's located. Uh, I don't have the exact address right now, um, but uh, it's a popular community center. We're doing a performance there on the following Friday, the 14th of April at uh, uh, 7 p.m. And uh, we're coming back to the UU Church for the 15th for a matinee performance at 2 p.m. And uh, the UU Church performances are $15 and $10 discounted for seniors and children. And uh, the Southwick performance is free. But the play, the basic plot of the play uh, is this. Um, the, our renowned anti-lynching crusader, suffragette and freedom fighter Ida B. Wells is in Louisville, Kentucky, 
assisting local organizers with an upcoming civil rights convention, of which there were many during that time and before and afterwards. Um, meanwhile, at another location in the city, hostile forces conspire to disrupt those efforts and prevent the emergence and organization of a civil and human rights movement at the turn of the 20th century. The play revolves around a, an imagined visit, you know, I took artistic license as we're allowed to do, um, of um, a visit that Ida B. Wells made to Louisville. She actually visited Louisville several times, but I imagined a particular time that she visits the city um, uh, in the midst of preparing for a, a, um, one of the uh, black conventions. Uh, I initially uh, was going to base this play in Chicago, which is where Ida spent most of her adult life after she was uh, driven out of Memphis. She was actually born in Mississippi, but uh, she moved to Memphis at some point in her life. And uh, a lot of her activism actually began in, in Memphis. Um, she was driven out of there and she ended up in Chicago. And uh, I started to go to Chicago, do some research, you know, just to give it the right flavor as any good playwright would do. Uh, then I decided, I say, why not base it here in Louisville? Imagine she comes to Louisville. And during my historical research, uh, kind of made sense that she had visited here. She had some distinct ties here. Um, some major turning points in her life occurred here. Uh, so um, I began to, to do a deep dive into Louisville history of that period. And what I discovered is that, uh, among other things, that the lives of the people um, that um, as Louisville, as the largest city in a former slave state, the city had one of the largest black populations in what is called the upper or what was called the upper south. Um, it, there was... Uh, an African-American activist community here as significant as anywhere else in the United States. Of course, some places the movement was bigger, some places it was smaller, but in Louisville, uh, there was a significant movement at the turn of the 20th century. The lives of the people in this community were as rich and complex as many mostly working class and poor people in any of the urban areas of the U.S., albeit complicated by a culture that was rife with white supremacy and inherent economic disparities. Um, like most black communities at that time, black Kentuckians, especially in many of the rural areas, were experiencing a wave of white nationalist domestic terrorism. And there's no other way to describe that. Uh, uh, and at the turn of the 20, now this domestic terrorism had started occurring right after um, the end of the Civil War. And it 
escalated uh, dramatically after the defeat of Reconstruction. And at the turn of the 20th century, it was still going on unabated, um, which is something I think Americans need to know. Um, uh, so one of the intents of the play is to shed some much needed light on these often overlooked urgent social and political life and death questions specifically. So folks, uh, just let me remind you that you are listening to On the Edge with K.A. Owens on uh, WFMP-LP Louisville. Uh, that's 106.5 FM. And just remember from March 27th to April 9th, we're going to have our fifth anniversary pledge drive. That's our fifth anniversary pledge drive. Uh, we're going to try to raise $5,000 to keep everything going here. It takes about $20 a day to operate this station. And so, uh, you know, you can become a sustaining member of uh, WFMP for $5 a uh, $10 or more per month. Uh, all you have to do is visit the PayPal link at the bottom of our homepage at forwardradio.org and uh, your account will be automatically charged each month and you can cancel at any time. Remember, if you like the station, you got to support what you love. It costs about $20 a day to operate the station and we have no paid staff whatsoever. It's, it's uh, operated entirely by volunteers. So if you uh, don't like the editing of, of uh, this show that you're listening to, I did it myself. Uh, so, uh, all right, folks, uh, we're, let me go back to Michael T. And Michael T. is talking about a new play he's producing here in Louisville. So go ahead, Michael. Yes, I just want to uh, make sure I let people know that this play that we're doing is being sponsored by an organization called Community Control Now, and our focus is primarily on um, uh, policing issues, uh, police repression. Uh, but you know, we are also concerned with the broader questions uh, that relate to that. And it's community control now, um, and we have a podcast right here on Forward Radio uh, that airs on uh, Thursdays at um, 8 p.m. and Fridays at 12 noon and Saturdays at 5 p.m. Community Control Now, which is sponsoring this play. But concerning the play again and the historical framework, as I was saying, that um, um, African-Americans were in the midst of... Um, a wave of white nationalist domestic terrorism that continued way into the 20th century. But we're dealing with, with the play, specifically the period of 1905. Um, and I, I think it's important to point out that after the defeat of Reconstruction and the gross violations of the Emancipation Proclamation, which had been passed in 1863, and the 13th and 14th and 15th Amendments, which were passed at the end of the Civil War, um, and these were you know, constitutional amendments. And because of the determination of the defeated, though unrepentant, ex-Confederate forces 
to reinstitute slavery by another name, the big question for black activists at the turn of the 20th century was, what was the best way forward to secure our citizenship and human rights? Uh, the various answers offered to those questions mark the beginnings of the modern American civil rights movement. And I think that's important because there's the mistaken notion that the civil rights movement began in the 1950s with the Montgomery bus boycott and the um, Brown versus the Board of Education ruling. Uh, but that was just another wave of it. Actually, the what we know as the Civil Rights Movement and that particular strategy that, you know, uh, uh, civil disobedience and, um, you know, focus on political activism and protests and demonstrations uh, was occurring around the turn of the 20th century after the end of the abolitionist movement. I mean, technically, we weren't chattel slaves anymore, so there was no need for an abolitionist movement. Now the big question was, what was to be our status as ex-slaves in this society? But again, I want to stress that uh, what emerged as the civil human rights movement of the early 20th century was just a continuation of a black liberation movement that began with the first black people who resisted coming across the transatlantic slave trade or through the transatlantic slave trade uh, across the Atlantic Ocean. And uh, for many of us, that's where the black liberation movement began. And since that time, it's taken various forms depending on the condition we were in. You know, obviously, you know, starting out as enslaved people, abolishing slavery was our principal concern. But in by the time of the turn of the 20th century, uh, we were, quote unquote, free. But it was clear with the with the ruling on Plessy versus Ferguson, a Supreme Court ruling that there was no intent despite all these previous amendments and civil rights, to recognize us uh, uh, as citizens, let alone as humans. <laughs> and um, so that necessitated the, the um, reconfiguration of our forces for that particular time. And fortunately, a person like Ida B. Wells, who was the primary focus, not the exclusive focus, uh, but the primary focus of this play was concerned with. She and a few others who I tried to introduce into the play, you know, uh, personalities such as uh, William Monroe Trotter, uh, Ma uh, Madam C.J. Walker, who in addition to being, you know, one of uh, probably the first woman millionaire in this country and quite an entrepreneur, but she was very much committed to the movement and gave money to the movement. She did not, like so many of our, aspiring bourgeoisie today. She did not turn her back on the movement. And uh, I uh, have her represented in the play at the convention. And, um, you know, other uh, prominent people of that period, um, 
and the uh, so I think it's important for people to, you know, who are especially activists who uh, consider themselves to be active in the movement to learn about this history because one of the reasons our progress has been arguably stymied even after the great uprisings of a few years ago and even before that and why we have all these ebbs and flows is because we're not linking all of this in a historical framework it's almost like each time we rise up it's like for the first time for many of us and we're not learning from the successes and the failures of the past iterations of our movements. So a lot of things we could, a lot of mistakes we can avoid if we seriously study what happened before and recognize that this is a continuum. Our movement is constantly transforming itself just like everything else. And you've got to keep up with all of that. And finally, I want to talk about how um, the, um, well, two things about this play is that in addition to, you know, the focusing on a luminary like uh, Ida B. Wells, who, by the way, was probably the most popular black woman in the world at that time, definitely in the United States. Um, you know, she was that prominent. And um, she um, she is critical because she's was one of the first to see the intersection of class, race, and sexual oppression, you know, with her focus on the whole lynching phenomenon and why so many black men were being lynched. The excuse was, you know, lusting after and raping white women. Of course, we knew that, you know, just looking at a white woman could get you killed. At the same time, white men were raping and abusing black women almost at the rate they were doing it during the period of enslavement. So she saw that, and that was very controversial. I maintain then and now to talk about that, but she was not afraid to talk about that and talked about it very explicitly. You know, the nerve of these folks to be killing our black men for um, so-called transgressions against white women when they were having a field day. Uh, this um, well-known historian, Edward Baptiste, who wrote a great book, uh, Heard He Smoke Here in Louisville, uh, uh, a few years ago, uh, but he has a book out called uh, The Half Has Never Been Told, where he goes into you know, uh, chattel slavery and how lucrative it was. But one thing that, that stuck out in the book for me was uh, a passage he has in there where he says that the antebellum South was the white man's sexual playground. And it continued to be that um, even after the Civil War. And the other thing was that I wanted in this play, as much as, um, you know, it's the primary focus is, is Ida B. Wells. She's sort of like the marquee person. But I hope um, people who come to the play will see get an idea of how local activists were trying to organize people, you know, here in Louisville. It wasn't as just, you know, some big luminary like uh, at the time, like Lucy uh, um, Ida B. Wells came here and had to organize us 
or, or people were just you know looking up to her and oh oh boy Ida B Wells one of our leaders there was as I said before there was already like in so many cities where black people were there and it was not every place but in many cities there was a movement developing and there were average everyday working class people involved in this movement and I tried to show them in this play as much as uh, and focus on them as much as Ida B. Wells, I mean, because these are often the unsung heroes. You know, people have this idea that Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and everybody, you know, the, the, those big names are the ones who organized these movements. You know, they were often the spokespersons and the ones who were identified with the movements, but there were many unsung, unrecognized people who spent their whole lives in the movement, lived and died in the movement, and no one ever knew about them. So I try to shed some light on some of those people here locally. Um, so I think it'll be a you know, great uh, evening of edutainment. I'd like to use that term by a guy from Boogie Down Productions, uh, my man uh, KRS-One, when he talked about how his art was about education and entertainment and that's what i think any uh, progressive artists progressive artists not one just seeking you know celebrity and fame but if you got a social mission you want to educate and entertain you know not uh, being remiss on either part of that because you know part of art is to entertain so, folks, I just want you to remember also that as part of our pledge drive this year, we're going to have our party on uh, uh, at Core Gallery, 942 East Kentucky Street, and that's going to be on a Saturday, April 8th, from 6.30 to 8.30. So that's going to be the party of this radio station, sort of birthday party of this radio station. So... Uh, all right, uh, Michael, uh, thank you for uh, telling us about your upcoming play. You want to give us those dates again? Uh, the premiere date is April the 7th at uh, 8 p.m. And April the 8th, uh, this is a Friday and a Saturday at 8 p.m. at the UU Church. And we were uh, also at the UU Church on April, the following week, um, April the 15th. It's a matinee show at uh, 2 p.m. And uh, on the 14th, we're doing a show at Southwick Community Center at 7 p.m. All right, Michael. So, folks, you've been listening to On the Edge with K.A. Owens. I'm K.A. Owens, and we're here with Michael T., uh, activist, playwright, author, uh, uh, so, man of vast experience. So, uh, well, uh, we've got a few minutes left. Uh, I mean, there's so many things we could talk mm -hmm. about in the next few minutes, but to keep it in the theatrical world or related to the theatrical world, uh, coming up upon the uh, Academy Awards uh, <laughs> uh, coming up and sort of the anniversary of the so-called slap uh, heard around the world. Uh, uh, so, that's a year ago, huh? Yes, wow. yes, indeed. <laughs> uh, my whole thing about that, the slap I'm talking about, folks, is where uh, 
Uh, of course, uh, Will Smith walked up on stage, allegedly offended by something Chris Rock said about his wife at the Academy Awards. Chris Rock was the host and took his right hand all the way back and then uh, swung it all the way around and uh, slapped Chris Rock. And Chris Rock has just spoken out about it. Finally, uh, uh, on a Netflix, uh, I wish he hadn't uh, live Netflix special where he got paid forty million dollars. Yeah. Well, he had a right to speak out. Yeah, I do wish he had not used the uh, the B word in reference yeah. to. I think that weakened his. Uh, yeah, uh, I think that weakened it. Uh, 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 his uh, re- response. Because now he's being accused of misogynist. Uh, well, he he could have just said nothing. Because he, after all is said and done, he looked like the good guy. Exactly. So he could have just left it alone. But he got a lot of money for this for this uh, this live special he did. Yeah, so that's probably why he's he in did. he's in the show business. Well, yeah. plus it was probably really bothered him too for uh, for a variety of reasons because uh, he feels like that. Uh, as a stand-up comic, that's his place. That stage belongs to him, and you don't come up there. Mm-hmm. And also, he probably feels like he knows Will and Jada. And and if you can't talk about people who you know, who are you going to talk about? And as he lamented, you know, the, she hurt him more than he ever could. But still, I would have taken the higher road, you know, as Michelle Obama likes to talk about. And that would have been a perfect opportunity because most people I talk to, I mean, after the initial flurry of stand you know um stand by your woman you know that i heard some black women uh saying you know in admiration of will it quickly changed into hey will's the the bad guy this deal and rock uh was the good guy in the sense that whatever he said you know he didn't turn this into a uh a a a big brawl which he could have done or you know Mm -hmm. came back hard he you know, more or less uh, capitulated, and he ended up s- smelling sweeter than Will Smith could have ever smelled. Well, I think that Chris Rock, in the moment, realized that there was something wrong with Will Smith, and he didn't want to uh, make that worse. Uh, mm. uh, because here's the situation, folks. That was supposed to be Will Smith's night, and that's why yes. a lot of us lament that night. Where, you know, the first black male to win an Academy Award was Sidney. Mm-hmm. Then I think it was Denzel and then mm-hmm. Jamie Foxx. And so that mantle was being handed to Will Smith. Yes. And he blew it. He blew it completely. Yeah. He he trampled on his own night. Yes. He destroyed his own Which moment. Which would have been his, one of the highlights of his career. And actually, <laughs> and what was the tragedy about it is, I don't know whether it's... Uh, 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 it's it's almost Shakespearean. Is that <laughs> that Will Smith had promoted himself as the not gangster ramper? Yes, right? yes. he he had promoted <laughs> he <completely> himself <laughs> as the as the good Negro that yes. white people can safely love. Yes, he always say, "Hey, I, uh, I'm not a gangster rapper. Yes. I'm not with those. Uh, you know." I'm not with that. Yes, I want to do raps that my grandmother can appreciate. That would his grandmother had had appreciated him slapping another black man, and, and so he promoted himself as the, <laughs> as the safe Negro, yes. the good Negro, and then he destroyed. He gets he he all of a sudden, at however old he is now, he's going to be like a gangster yeah. now at this age. It was a bad move at this age. But nevertheless, I thought Rock should have just. Let that dangle in the air. 
He had the, most of the people on his side. Yeah. Most people kind of felt sorry for him, not yeah. not um, Will Smith. But I think, uh, and then I heard a criticism that it wasn't even a good show that he did. You know where he, you know, made his re- official comedic responses to that night. Uh, Too much said, anger was in it. I think. Yeah, uh, they said it looked like it was kind of spontaneous. You know, kind of spontaneous. And the, those remarks that he made about the situation, he could have come on a late night TV show and, and made those remarks. Uh, but of course, he wouldn't have gotten you know forty million dollars. Uh, to do it <laughs> whatever but uh you know but uh it, it kind of is it's 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 a tragedy all the way around basically for for will smith because he stepped on his own moment and then it's funny i mean it's funny we talk about all these bad kids shoot it's the adults are just just as confused as the children and we got millionaire adults who are just as confused as any 15 year old mm-hmm. hanging out on the corner mm-hmm. so uh uh all right, folks, we've been here with Michael T. Uh, it's always uh, wonderful to have you here, Michael, talk about uh, the theater, plays, activism, the world. Uh, this is uh, On the Edge with K.A. Owens, and we will be back next week.